0: Late 1980, Petersburg had reached out and uh, had made a job offer, and I started working with them on November the 15th, 1980. And I believe I went through the first recruit school that Petersburg had ever done back then at that time. It was nine of us that got hired and went through four weeks of rookie school. Uh, So that was a a fun time, too, in and of itself.
1: So at least they gave you a little bit more training than you got in Ettrick when you ran your first call.
0: (laughs) Yes, sir. And most of the people that were hired in Petersburg at the time had never been uh, in the fire service, probably at least half of them. Uh, So it was interesting to see some of those folks. I don't know if you remember the old fairgrounds in Petersburg, but we went Mm -hmm. over to uh, to the old cinder block bathrooms, And that's where they put a 55-gallon drum cut in half with uh, diesel fuel and a couple tires on it. That was their smokehouse. That was a smokehouse. Yes, sir. (laughs)
1: firehouse logbook podcast I'm your host Robbie Dawson and uh, the interesting part of having done this uh, podcast for more than a dozen episodes now is what I've learned about the people I've gotten to sit down and talk with Uh, I didn't know that Jerry Pruden got his start in the business as an EMS uh, volunteer EMS provider up in Fredericksburg so that was good to know and I wish I'd known that when Jerry and I worked together at 14 we might have been able to put that to use a little bit more Uh, I didn't know that Steve Wood uh, originally wanted to be a police officer and a high school friend of his, and another friend of mine, Jim Murphy, wanted to be a firefighter, and both of them actually switched roles. Uh, Jim became a police officer, and Steve went to the fire service. And I didn't know Glenn Dean, who had worked for Petersburg before going to the state fire marshal's office, was one of the first engine officers to arrive on the scene of the Mike Golf fire on Sycamore Street in 1982. And uh, in that conversation... I learned my guest today also played a role in that fire in Petersburg, and uh, we'll get into some of that, I'm sure. But uh, today's guest has been in the fire service for 44 years, uh, served in a number of different jurisdictions, and positions from firefighter to fire chief, and he's now retired, but still serves the members of the Virginia Fire Service in other ways, and we'll get into that as well. So with that, please welcome, retired from Spotsylvania, Virginia Fire Chief, Chris Udaly. Chris, thanks for...
0: Good afternoon, Rob. It's good to be with you today.
1: Thanks for having me over, uh and appreciate you spending some time talking about some history so yes sir looking forward to it uh you, you know you, we, we were talking earlier that um you know I, I didn't i knew you had a connection to chesterfield somehow i knew you were in ettrick but i didn't know you, or ettrick fire station i didn't know you were with the rescue squad as well how did you get involved in firing ems in the first place
0: well, my dad had been a uh, volunteer at Company 12. Um, and as, after my sister and I were born, he decided to step away from the fire department to be able to take care from family obligations. Um, and he never got back in until after uh, several years after I joined, matter of fact. But uh, I became interested in it. Uh, our mailman, Jimmy Davis, it may be a name that you recognize, he was assistant chief at uh, Company 12 with the volunteer department. He was a local mailman, delivered mail on foot in Ettrick at that time. And uh, he kept asking me about coming by the firehouse and see if it might be something I'd be interested in.
1: How old were you then?
0: I was 16 years old. Um, I actually went up and uh, visited with the fire station, spoke to some of the firefighters, and turned my application in. And in May of 77, I was fortunate enough to be uh, voted into the department that night.
1: So you you were... Was that a junior membership, or were you full-fledged?
0: We didn't have junior memberships at that day and time. And I'll tell you, 30 minutes after the uh, uh, membership had voted me in, I'd had an opportunity to get a set of turnout gear. And 30 minutes after that, I was on the back of 123 with a strap around me riding tailboard, going to a brush fight in Matulka. Uh And the guys kept telling me, bend your knees, bend your <laughs> knees. For those that don't know, we had railroad tracks in Ettrick, and uh, I didn't get the connection until after we went over the railroad tracks, and that was a, a lesson I learned that day.
1: And uh, for those of you who don't remember, I guess it, that was 123 back then, and it's an R-model Mac, and there are no jump seats on those rigs, if I'm right. Is that, yes, was, sir. That what it was? Yeah. So no, that nothing but the time. tailboard. Yes, sir, tailboard. We had three straps on the back, and we had a full house that night, so. Yeah, that's, that's those are fun times. If it's, uh, I see that on Facebook every time, as I was part of the fire service when it was fun, and you see these guys just hanging on for dear life on the tailboard, <laughs> bending their knees as they go over railroad tracks.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: So how much you said you started there as a 16 year old? Obviously, the training was here. Hang on, rookie. We're going for a ride. Yes. Um, sir. What What was your time in Ettrick like? Was it a volunteer?
0: Uh, my time in Ettrick was was gave me what I feel like was a good firm foundation for the fire service. So. I have uh, Chesterfield uh, Fire and EMS is very near and dear to my heart, like I said. Uh, went through uh, Firemanship 1, Firemanship 2, General Advanced Firemanship at that time. Went through those programs several times uh, before Firefighter 1, 2 and 3 came out in 1980. Um, but uh, I, I worked my way through the ranks there. Um, in the 12 years I was there, from firefighter, and when I left, I had served as the district chief there at that uh, station. But uh, we had a chance to work with some dedicated uh, volunteer and career staff from the from the county, and uh, it was it was a good opportunity. Like I said, I really feel that the foundation for my fire service career was set the first four, three or four years I was there with the training I was afforded. And the opportunities I was afforded there at Company 12 as a volunteer.
1: W- was that training all in-house or by that time had uh, the training di- division of the department kind of spun up at the courthouse at that point?
0: Yes sir most of the training we did was actually at the courthouse at the old burn building that has since been torn down now as well as the uh the tower out there mm-hmm. but uh we did uh, we did our training out there at the uh, courthouse.
1: And You said your dad had come back to the company at one point did you get a chance to work with him much
0: actually i did uh about a year or two after i got in after a year or two of hounding him to come back he uh he finally agreed to come back he had been uh, an engine operator in his earlier days he liked to drive that 1935 ford around that's the uh oldest motorized fire equipment here in chesterfield it's actually it's down at company 12 still right there. Now. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Herman, as a side note, Tommy Herman and I and Smitty are trying to work on raising some funds to help get that vehicle restored, uh, so that it can be more mechanically, uh, safe and, and be, be usable as far as for parades and, you know, department, department. events and such. So, but, uh, yeah, I got him back in and he actually ran for another 10 years with me before I moved up to, uh, Spotsylvania County at that point in time. And it was nice, uh, as, a, as an officer, a uh, sergeant lieutenant, I would be riding the front seat and have my
1: dad driving the, driving the truck to get us to the fire. We had some good old times. That's pretty neat. Um, so you got you went, you went actually went to work in Petersburg before you went to Spotsy. Uh, how, did, how did you get to, to go to Petersburg?
0: Yeah, and uh, I guess in 1980, I had been in the fire service a couple years, and it didn't take me long to, to figure out that this was certainly a passion of mine and that I didn't need to look any further for um, – for an occupation, if you will, that I had uh, something that it didn't feel like work, and I enjoyed helping uh, a fellow man in their time of need. Uh, so I had applied to a number of departments uh, in in uh, late 1980. Petersburg had reached out and uh, had made a job offer, and I started working with them on November the 15th, 1980. And I believe I went through the first recruit school that Petersburg had ever done back then at that time. It was nine of us that got hired and went through four weeks of rookie school. Uh, So that was a a fun time,
1: too, in and of itself. So at least they gave you a little bit more training than you got in Ettrick when you ran your first call.
0: (laughs) Yes, sir. And most of the people that were hired in Petersburg at the time had never been uh, in the fire service, probably at least half of them. Uh so it was interesting to see some of those folks. I don't know if you remember the old fairgrounds in Petersburg, but we went yeah. over to the uh to the old cinder block bathrooms and that's where they put a 55 gallon drum cut in half with uh, diesel fuel and a couple tires on it. That was their smoke. That was a smoker. Yes
1: sir. <laughs> hey, did make do with what you got. <laughs> yes sir. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, for for folks who are just coming in the fire service now, that's just kind of an unheard of thing because of the and and it's a good thing. It's safer, it's more controllable. Uh but I can remember using tires and various flammable liquids and furnishings and whatever else we could find to throw on a fire in a smokehouse for sure.
0: Yeah, occupation has certainly evolved uh, to the right level at this point. Safety is of the utmost importance and cancer in the fire service is something that's far too pre- pre- prevalent at
1: this point. So mm-hmm. And uh, I, I mention his name often, and Dave Creasy's probably the most uh, predominant one that I'm I'm familiar with. That came down with occupational cancer, and we lost him. And I I still regret not having started this up before we could capture his story. I tell you, I know that he would have some stories to have told you too. This is true. This is true. Um, it, you know the the one the one fire in Petersburg that we I talked about, and um, this kind of came up with uh, Glenn Dean, and I was. Somebody posted a picture back in March, uh, the anniversary of the, the Sycamore Street fire where Mike Golf lost his life. And that kind of spawned a couple other conversations. Somebody sent a note to me, hey, maybe you should talk to somebody from that. And I'm, I kind of started thinking about that. And I'd planned on meeting with Glenn Dean and Ed Altizer, and got to more talking to Glenn and found out he was at that fire. And he said, oh, do you know who was on the radio that night? And I'm like, no. He mentioned the name Chris Daly. So uh, I'd like to kind of, Talk about that night, if you could, for a few minutes. And this was 1982, March of 1982. Um, obviously, you'd, you'd been in Petersburg for a while by that point. How did you wind up on a radio, did you, a firefighter working at a dispatch center? Well, in Petersburg, when I got hired, the uh, fire
0: department took care of its own communications out at the Johnson Road Fire Station, Station 5. My first six months, because I had prior experience when I got hired in Petersburg, I was uh, detailed or assigned to Fire Company 5 at Johnson Road. So that afforded me the uh, opportunity to be trained and to be uh, equipped to be able to operate the radio because we did not have uh, the police department basically in Petersburg took care of its uh, police uh, units. And Station 5
1: took care of fire and EMS at that point in time. So did you just, was it a a duty assignment like today you're riding jump seat the next day you're on the radio did it kind of well they
0: actually when i was there back in 80 in 1980 to 81 on the radio itself for that six month stint uh we actually took turns uh two three hour tours of duty and so that we didn't have the same person staying up uh for that time period from the from uh the entire evening so um, you know, you would take two or three-hour tours on the radio, and then you'd go in there and wake up the next guy and get him to come in there and relieve you, and you get to go to bed for a couple hours.
1: Truly, stand and watch. And yes, sir. Was yes, it a, sir. Uh, just a seven-digit phone number that people would call? It wasn't nine one 911 back then, was it? No, sir. It was not. So you picked up the phone and said, this is the fire department. How can
0: we help you? <laughs> Petersburg Fire Department. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah
0: going back to that night Robbie i had uh it was actually march the 19th it uh, it stays in uh, in my memory uh, quite a bit as well as it does glenn and others that were there uh, i had just finished up my last day that day of a four week fire investigator to school that i had went to at the virginia state police academy on my own i'd gotten back in the station i, I was then assigned to the market street fire station and i was assigned to the ladder company uh that was the only aerial device for the city of petersburg at the time so that was a good assignment you knew that wherever the fire was in the city you, know. you were you were getting to go so uh, i'd gotten back there was an acting battalion chief uh, on duty that uh, that day uh captain hicks was the acting battalion chief and um he told me as soon as i walked in the door he said you daily get your stuff you go into company five tonight you're gonna be running the radio and, uh, you know, that certainly wasn't what I wanted to hear. Um, you know, after being in school for four weeks, I wanted to get back riding the truck. Uh, so I waited and procrastinated a little bit. And about 20 or 30 minutes later, he saw me still walking around the fire station. Still procrastinating. And needless to say, I got my you-know-what shoot out. And uh, shortly thereafter, I was on my way to uh, to Johnson Road to run the radio that night. I hadn't gotten to Company 5 probably more than about 30, 45 minutes before the first call came in around 6.30, 6.35, 6.40. And it was Miss Hudgens that called that fire in that night, and she said that uh, the building is on fire, that she could smell smoke. And, uh, she, of course, it was a typical taxpayer unit. You had businesses on the uh, first ground level, and you had apartments up above that. And uh, it wasn't long after that we dispatched the first due assignment um, once they got on the scene, it, uh, it uh, certainly uh, received other calls about the fire to where we knew it was going to be something of some significance in the downtown area there.
1: What, what kind of an assignment did you typically give on a call like that right off the bat? Is it uh, two two engines and a truck?
0: In yes, battalion? sir. Yes, sir. Two engines, a truck, and a battalion chief uh, went. Um, as the fire progressed that evening, it wasn't uh, probably more than 20 minutes into the incident when uh, the explosion took place in the basement of the building. And we probably had about 28 to 30 people per shift on duty that day, and that was a normal assignment in the, in the city at that point in time. I understand it's dropped a little bit since then. Uh, but out of the uh, 28 to 30 people, uh, probably about 25 or 26 of them were injured in some means or another. And uh, we had, obviously, uh, Mike Goff that was still missing at that point in time.
1: And um <clears throat> as the 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 book I've gotten that kind of chronicles that incident, um it was a couple of hours before anybody really realized he, we may have lost him or we don't know where he's at. Um what, what was it like being on the radio, hearing that radio traffic? Could you did you automatically um you know, get them other resources or what what kind of actions did you take being on the receiving end of that message yeah once the uh once the explosion took place uh well within the first
0: 20 minutes we had really emptied all five we actually had five stations in the city at that point in time we had the aerial uh device that was at uh, the market street station and then we had the uh the, the ground ladder uh, compliment that uh, Mike was assigned to at Company Four and Walnut Hill, but we had all five companies committed on that incident within the first 20-25 minutes of the call being received and dispatched, and I was end up actively engaging, calling in mutual aid from Colonia Heights, from Chesterfield from Prince George and and the other surrounding uh, departments to try to seek help, number one, for the fire ground, but also to work on backfilling the station so that we could be available to respond to other incidents in the city at that particular evening. Um, Getting calls from uh, uh, API and some of the major news media uh, obviously was a, a first for me. And uh, I was out there by myself the the entire night until uh you know very early in the morning once uh mike's body had been found and removed and things kind of settled down a little bit but it was a it was a very long night it was a very uh um, it it was a very very long night i I'm, I'm gonna tell you you know you just don't uh, you just don't think you're gonna find yourself in that position uh I was fortunate though that the six months I had spent there i was uh, Fairly efficient with the radio system, and I was able to make the right calls as far as for getting help in that. But it was certainly a,
1: a challenging evening. I'm, I'm, i got about six questions popped into my head there, but uh, you mentioned the AP calling in. This was 1982, well before social media, Twitter, and anything like that. How, were, how was the media finding out about it?
0: You know, Robbie, I'm not sure how they found out about it unless, uh, you know, it was something that got picked up on the uh, on the local media. I mean, the fire was right in front of the old Progress Index building. Um, so, you know, obviously they were familiar. It still happened at, at a relatively early hour of the evening, like I said, 630, 640 in the evening. Um, So I don't know whether they still had staff there in the building. I imagine reporters were coming and going in that building at that point in time, as they most likely did. But I'm not sure how it got to, to, you know, the, the major news outlets, but they were calling and wanting to know what was going on. And basically, I told them I couldn't talk to them right now, that, you know, I'm trying to facilitate and make sure the needs of the Fire and Rescue folks are being met over the radio. That they didn't need to call back in the morning and talk to the fire chief. So, <laughs> and
1: and the fire chief himself was injured in that. For reading the book, he uh, he was on scene by the time the explosion happened and was yes, injured sir. himself. So, uh, certainly a tough situation for the guys on the scene. And I can imagine what it's like being on the being a firefighter, knowing what's going on on the fire scene, being on the radio and hearing what's happening too. And I reflect back, uh, like I said, Robbie, I was
0: assigned to the uh, aerial company that was literally about four blocks from this fire and uh, had I not been detailed out to uh Johnson Road that night um you know I would have been right one there. of the first or second units in on that call we always tried to let the latter company go out first so that they they could position their unit in the most appropriate place to be able to uh to meet the needs there so uh, it's it's very likely that uh you know I don't know whether something would have could would have could have happened to me that evening but uh you know, I think uh, a good Lord had different plans for me on where I needed to be that night. So, Very true.
1: And I understand a lot of off-duty firefighters came back as well. This was back in the day when it was um, not, not uncommon for paid career firefighters to just pop into a fire scene. I know uh, Bubba Ashby, who left was in Petersburg, went to Chesterfield and since retired, was at that fire as well.
0: Yes, sir, he was. We did have quite a contingent of folks, and that was another thing as far as the calls coming in. I was getting a lot of those calls from the off-duty uh, shifts at that point in time, wanting to know uh, where they needed to go and uh, what they needed to do, and
1: a lot of them came in and obviously met up on the scene. Oh, so you so. got you got to coordinate those. Um, <laughs> Call them freelance volunteers that that said, hey, where I'm here, where am I? Where do you need me? Well, to at least for a little bit until we could get some of those stations back staffed from some of our
0: uh, surrounding localities, and then we tried to have some of the Petersburg guys actually go to the respective stations to be a, a rider on those outside trucks to where they could help uh, the local local intel exactly yeah. and they 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 knew the road network and be able to get folks where they needed to go because it was uh, it was a number of hours before the fire ever got brought under control where units could be released i mean the engine from two was uh, positioned so close it actually was damaged and ultimately destroyed in that uh, in that fire to where it didn't go back into service so
1: well and yeah, you know, i hope I hope to get a lot more folks uh, who were involved in the scene. That's a good kind of intro from the person who took the first call and got crews there and had to deal with that. So I appreciate you sharing your experience there. Um, So from Petersburg, uh, you worked there a few years. Where did you go from that point?
0: Yeah, from Petersburg, I spent 18 months in the city. Um, I had the opportunity then to transition down to James City County, uh, which is adjacent to uh, Williamsburg. Uh, I got hired down there in May of uh, of nineteen eighty two, and I spent uh, my time there. I spent just shy of seven years there. I left there in February of eighty nine. But I had the opportunity to work at the uh, at the Grove Fire Station down on Route sixty, just past Bush Gardens, um, as well as spending a year and a half in the Fire Prevention Office there.
1: How did you get the prevention? Was that kind of a spin off of that? Uh, investigations class you said you were taking at the time of the uh, Sycamore Street fire
0: yes it was I think the training that I had had not only did I go through the fire in investigator two class which was four weeks at the time through fire programs at the state police barracks but I also had an opportunity to take my uh, 1031 the fire inspector training on my own and be able to get that so when uh, Woody Stratton uh, left that Name might send, ring a bell for a you. Bill. He's he's uh, up at he was up at uh, uh, National Fire Academy. He may have done some work for NFPA as well. I'm not sure. But when Woody left, um, then the position came open for the Fire Prevention Office, and I had applied and uh, got promoted into that position. Like I said, spent about 18 months there.
1: I, again, another thing I didn't know. I knew Woody Stratton from the Fire Academy, but I didn't realize he had uh, been in James City before that. So, yes, sir. Uh, an education every one of these episodes, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. And uh, you say you spent how many years, Six, seven years?
0: I was just shy of seven years in, uh, in James City. I tell you, uh, Robbie, one of the first big fires that I had a chance to go to in the mutual aid uh, locality was at the uh, College of William & Mary. It was a Jefferson dorm fire. It was in January of 80, 83, actually. I hadn't even been there, like I said, about eight months, I guess and uh, it was 19 degrees that uh, that morning and uh, fire crews we got uh, in James City Williamsburg York County they've got an automatic aid agreement where on a typical assignment you may get an engine from two of the localities and the first two truck may come from the third as well as an EMS unit they truly let the uh, boundaries and the facilities where they're located end up ensuring that the appropriate uh, units get dispatched for the public's uh, well-being. So it's, uh, it was good in that regard. But we got dispatched that night. And when I was in James City, we had two engines and an ambulance in the fire station that I worked in, but we only had a maximum of five people on duty on any given day. So five people, three pieces of equipment. <laughs> you know two people on the ambulance. Right. And there's got to be a driver for that second-due pumper because if you can't get the pumper there, the water's not going to help you. So that left the lieutenant and myself on the 1st in uh, mutual aid company. And having had some exposure to large tobacco warehouses on fire when I was in uh, 12 and in Petersburg, I saw this large brick building with a slate roof on it puffing smoke in different areas and... Uh, the officers down there uh that was in charge was a little apprehensive about uh going and actively seeking the fire and I told my lieutenant when we pulled up that I thought we would be there all night long. <laughs> were and, you wrong, and that I didn't think that we were going to save this building and about ten hours later when we were getting ready to do shift change on duty there were the the block the brick and block walls were standing, but everything else was in, the, in the basement, middle. oh wow, so. So they lost. Was that that was a, that was a dorm, Jefferson Dorm? Yes, sir. Were Students in at the time? They were. They had gotten out. I mean, this was. Uh, they had just probably come back from uh, from Christmas vacation, just getting back into uh, the spring semester at that point. But everybody got out. Yes, sir. We didn't that's have any news. any injuries, so well, that's good news.
1: So from uh James City you moved north to uh Spotsylvania. Is that the next pa- next step?
0: Yes, sir. That's the next step for me. Um the paper had uh, advertised the position on several occasions and uh when it got advertised the third time within about six months of uh of uh the position being open, I decided I would put my name in the hat just to see what it was about. I I wasn't sure if I wanted to go because if they had advertised three times uh you know either they've had some issues or just not finding the right person for that system um but uh I was fortunate enough that I uh, went up and did some visiting and uh county administrator and the board of supervisors extended a job offer and when I went up and started working in February of 89 uh I did not expect that I would spend almost 25 years my final time uh as a in in the fire service on on a career side in in that department. I I expected maybe I would spend five or seven years there and something else would come along and I'd move on to the next job. But uh, I certainly enjoyed becoming a part of that community. The department was going through a transition from an all-volunteer system into a combination system, and that in and of itself presented some
1: unique challenges. Did did your time in Ettrick, as a volunteer, did that kind of give you a better background and understanding of that side of the, the equation for what, be, what, what, what the volunteers were going through in that transition?
0: I truly believe that it did between my uh, 12 years at Company 12 and then I had the privilege to run with Edric Matorka for five years from 78 to 83 when I was still at 12. Um, but that was very beneficial to me. Um, and I tell you, if no one has gone through that um, that can be one of the more challenging departments to lead and to manage uh, when you coming in from the outside. Um, you've got volunteers that have lived in that jurisdiction all their lives. They've got personal relationships with elected officials, uh, with other folks in the community. It can present some real uh, challenges for you. It really can.
1: How, how did you approach those challenges, though, coming in the door as that outsider? Are uh, you going you, to you're going to come here and kind of change the way we've been doing business in Spotsylvania? Does it, was that kind of the attitude you got from them or did you how did you attack, how did you approach them? Robbie I tried to go in and spend my
0: first 6 to 12 months trying to get to know people and try to build those relationships myself before I tried to go in and try to uh, make uh, across the board changes. I needed to kind of see what was going on there after I had been there uh, just a tad over a year one of the first things I did is we held our first EMT class in the county for the career firefighters. Several of them had their certification, but we weren't running EMS responses at the point in time. And I thought that I wouldn't see my second anniversary because a lot of people were ready to send me out of town (laughs) then. But when they got a sense of what the purpose was and that it was there to benefit the community as a whole, in providing that other trained resource, then uh, it it kind of be- became the norm at that point. But that was uh, that was probably one of the first hurdles that I
1: encountered just a little over a year on the job. If you you think it'd been as successful if you'd come in in the first week and go, "Hey, here's what we're doing. Everybody's going to be an EMT." Would it have gone a little different? Do you think, or was that did that year really help you solidify some of those relationships and let that smooth? I can. I can only guess at this point, but
0: I may not have seen the end of my probationary time if I had tried to do that at the beginning. I think any time you're bringing in someone new, not only do you need to get a sense of what's going on, but you need to earn people's trust and respect. I mean, when you're coming in from the outside, they didn't know me from Adam. They had done some research and then make some phone calls. It wasn't then, I mean, where was that? prevalent where they go on look on Facebook or or look at uh, uh Google you on Google the Google and that sort of thing. But I can tell you there were some phone calls made to some of the places where I had previously worked.
1: What uh I mean did you find out that you know keeping those relationships back where you had worked, was that a was that uh did that play a part in it as well?
0: Yeah, I think it did. I mean, people knew, you know, who I was, and I think that when they got contacted, they they gave them a straight shoot. I mean, you know, as far as what uh, Chris is all about, and you know, I'm I consider myself to be a fair person, and uh, you know, like I said, you know, went in just had to earn their respect and their trust.
1: What do you think? Um, you know, I always thought it was a big leap from firefighter to company officer because now you're not the, you're not the buddies, you're the boss. And I think the next big leap is to the fire chief. Um, not that I've filled that role, but I, I've always been sitting back and watching the, you know, when when Chief Walger became chief, when Chief Ellsworth became chief, and when Chief Center came in, it was, or Chief Center had been a chief before, but it was a, there was a, uh, I guess, from a student's perspective of change in their perspective, if you will, what what changed between being a uh a, a rank file firefighter in James City and now you're the chief in Spotsylvania? What was the big well, big gap you had to fill by title, I wasn't actually the chief
0: at that point in time, and again, it goes back to the change in the political climate. When I got hired in Spotsylvania, I got hired as the fire marshal but my responsibilities were far and beyond what most fire marshals would do to include the daily supervision of career staff, to include hiring and firing, to include discipline, to include serving as liaison between the county and the volunteer agency. So politically, it was not appropriate at that point in time in 89 to call me the fire chief. So over the next four years, Um, My position in 93 changed to the director of fire rescue and emergency management. Uh, Again, it took some transitionary time. It took people's uh, uh, feeling comfortable with me, if you will, as a person. And I can tell you, the job itself uh, was the same as a fire chief, at least in my mind, some of the things I had to contend with. Uh, There were just some people that didn't feel that uh, it should be called a county fire chief. At that point, it was actually not until six years later, ten years after I was hired, that I was finally designated by title as the county fire chief and the county fire marshal. At that point in time, so uh,
1: interesting transition. That, that was just, I'm assuming, because there were independent volunteer fire companies that didn't want to have the county as a the, their boss. Is that the way that, or is that that was the Well, we were fortunate in
0: in one aspect, Robbie. You know, when I was here in Chesterfield, we had, at the point in time that I left, there were 13 or 14 stations. And there were volunteers at most of those houses, with the exception of 14 and 15 at that time. Um, We had two volunteer fire uh, departments in the county when I went up there, but they operated out of six stations. And we had two volunteer rescue squads, one within the county and one from Fredericksburg that provided service to one of, out of one of our stations in the county. So out of uh, six fire stations, I dealt with two chiefs. And out of four or five rescue buildings, I dealt with two rescue captains. So it was a lot easier and simpler in that uh, process and that I didn't have to deal with 10 or
1: 11 different yeah, people. I important. was dealing with four people. So not not quite as many people you had to make happy, but uh, no, sir. We had to you had to work with them. That's for sure. Yes, sir. Did anything else change within the county when they designated you fire chief? Did, was there a, a county ordinance that created that position? Or?
0: Yes, sir. We developed the county ordinance. Uh, obviously, um, we'd gotten all the other paperwork done. Um, later on in my time there, as we ended up uh, running into some challenges. Uh, we ended up working on and finally got adopted standardized uh, training requirements for all positions regardless of whether you paid or volunteer in order to serve and uh, that went on for a number of years as far as it before it finally took uh, complete impact as far as control as far as that goes or total effect it was probably i would say back in 12 or 13 just before i retired maybe even a little bit after i retired before they finally had gone into effect for everyone they were trying to stagger those in to try to give people the appropriate time to go out and secure the training that was being mandated um and you know we had a couple of catastrophic catastrophic fires in there, uh, that helped contribute to some of that. One of them was uh, a residential structure fire, a Sandy Hill fire. I don't know whether you recall hearing about that. Um, it was up off of uh, Plank Road in, uh, in the Chancellor uh, area, and uh, fire and rescue crews got dispatched to a house fire with a woman reporting smoke in the, in the, in the house. And the crews, the stations were staffed by volunteers. They were there within minutes. Um, and they were unable to bring the woman out before she succumbed to smoke inhalation and and passed away. And uh, it's unfortunate that we have incidents such as that, but, uh, you know, sometimes you you go in there and you tell people what you need. You're trying to uh, avoid those particular circumstances, but unfortunately the society we're in is a reactive society instead of trying to be proactive.
1: Yep. And I think Ed Altizer was talking on, when I had him on, it's always, uh, you can look at codes and standards and regulations and always tie some tragedy to it that, that kind of spawned that up. So it's yes, unfortunate. Any other incidents that happened uh, up in Spotsylvania that uh, kind of come to mind that uh, while you were the fire chief or the fire marshal up there?
0: Well, we had a couple of them, and they're not fire-related. But in some other ways, they still live within me and my memory banks, and One of them, obviously, was a D.C. sniper. We actually had two of those shootings that took place in Spotsylvania County, one in the Four Mile Fork area and one up off of Route 3, right up uh, in front of Spotsylvania Mall. And we actually had one of our fire marshals uh, doing inspections at the mall at the time of that shooting in front of the uh, Michael store. And he was literally there within minutes after the, the call went out. but. I can tell you that was a unique time in our community, uh, people really on edge about uh, you know, being out in public, much less filling up with gas or anything else that you could do. Um, that, that was uh, one that certainly stands out. Um, the other one is the List Silver case where the young girls had been kidnapped and uh, been uh, sexually uh, molested and then uh, killed and dumped down in the uh, South Anna River. Um myself and the emergency management coordinator as well as the sheriff, you know, went and had a number of discussions with uh with the Lisk and having to go tell them on that Sunday morning when their two daughters had been found dead in the South Anna River was something that will stay with me forever, just like the Mike Golf fire. Yeah.
1: That's that's unfortunate. Uh, they they do they do leave a mark, that's yes. for sure. Um kind of shift gears just a little bit uh you know i know you at while you were a fire chief in in Spotsylvania, you got active or maybe it was before that you were active with the virginia fire chiefs association and ultimately became president of that organization didn't you yes sir tell me about that that group and uh, what you did as president then well
0: the uh, the association was formed in 1930 and it started out as the state fire chiefs association of virginia um, it came together from a number of fire chiefs around the state that were just trying to uh, work to the betterment of the fire service here in, in Virginia. Uh, since that time, the uh, the association name has been changed to the Virginia Fire Chiefs Association. We just celebrated our 90th anniversary last year. We were able to get our conference in last year before COVID hit, so that was, was February, uh, that yeah. was certainly a blessing, yes, sir. Um, I had actually joined the, uh, the association back when I was a district chief at Company 12 and had been uh, somewhat active on and off until I got to Spotsylvania. And once I did in 89, obviously I got engaged and had an opportunity to serve on the board uh, and served two years as the uh, president of, this, of the association. The uh, VFCA is, uh, is a statewide group that uh, is open to all. Everybody hears the title, Virginia Fire Chiefs Association, thinks you have to be a chief to be a member, and that's certainly not the case. Um, you know, we have uh, membership that goes from fire chiefs all the way down through firefighters, and we've got others that uh, just have, want to support the uh, association, and they're just uh, affiliate members. Um, but the uh, the organization is, has changed quite a bit. We're doing uh, quite a few things around the state, and uh, membership is up around 900 right now statewide and we're working aggressively to try to see if we can get that to grow as we go forward
1: and uh for anybody who's not picked up on it yet um, he says we today he's still engaged with that organization as the executive director am i right and once you left spotsylvania uh, wanting to stay engaged with the fire service, they uh, they picked you up as kind of the the staff of the association. <laughs> is that right?
0: Yes, sir. I uh, I had retired on December the second in eighty uh, three with the with Spotsylvania County, and on January the first, I started working for the Virginia Fire Chiefs Association.
1: Not a lot of downtime. There. No, sir. Yeah, and just just to kind of highlight a couple of those things, I you know I, I I joined the, the Vfca forget at what point in my career, I know I wasn't a chief officer, but uh, for anybody who is in Virginia or even outside of Virginia, if you get the opportunity to come to the, the Virginia Fire Chiefs Conference, and it's really not just a state conference, there's how far away do you pull people in from? Well, the majority of the folks come in from from the Commonwealth.
0: We do have folks coming in from adjoining states, mostly in North Carolina, with the proximity to uh, the Outer Banks down there. We have a number of those folks come in, but we've had other people come in from from other uh, states around. But the majority of it is from uh, from
1: Virginia, Robbie. And I'll. I'll share that I've I've gotten the opportunity to speak there, but more importantly, I've got the opportunity to attend that event on a number of occasions, and and it's not just uh, Virginia speakers. I mean, you bring in some pretty big names, and the one that kind of and you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, the one that really stuck with me was a, a I can't remember his name. He's a firefighter out of California that started the can, uh, firefighter cancer support network. And this was just about the time cancer was becoming an emerging issue. And his speech on, I think it was that Saturday morning, really got me thinking about it. And I think it opened a lot of people's eyes in Virginia. So uh, for anybody who is interested in an outstanding educational conference, uh, that's February? Is yeah, it still happening in
0: February? Yes, sir. It, it is in February. We're actually going to be kicking off our planning for that uh, event for next year. We're, uh, based on the way things are going, we're anticipating a, a face-to-face conference again. We normally average about 800, give or take, in educational sessions during that week, and we have another probably fifteen, sixteen hundred 1,600 that just come to walk the expo floor. We uh, We meet at the Virginia Beach Convention Center that entire expo floor is filled with fire apparatus and uh, appropriate companies that support uh, public safety. Uh the expo hall is already 87 88% sold for next year. That's and good. Uh, the educational programs about 90% done for next year. So we're on track and
1: uh you know we're hoping to have another good show next year get back in the saddle. I'm sure it will be. It's uh and it like you said it's at Virginia Beach and as long as it doesn't you don't get an ice storm, it's quite the uh Quite the event uh, for anybody who's interested. So um, uh, a couple more questions for you. you. know, 44 years or so in the fire service, um, what, what do you think are some of those long-term fire service traditions that you may have seen either in Ettrick or Petersburg or in your time in Spotsylvania or James City that you think are kind of fading into memory that we probably need to at least be aware of that we're losing those fire service traditions? Well, I know with the
0: uh, new sleeping arrangements, everyone's got their own bunk room now. Uh, One of the things that was interesting, good and bad, was being in that big bunk room with uh, your fellow uh, guys uh, beside you. You'd be hearing all sorts of noises uh, during the night, good, bad, and ugly. So uh, that's something that folks maybe are missing out on, as well as some uh, chats in the evening before you go to sleep and just talking about the calls of the day or or uh, just maybe what was going on with each other's family. I know when I was in uh, James City as a firefighter um, um usually a lot of the folks didn't didn't they ate together but they didn't cook a meal together and I don't know Not having been in a fire station recently, whether that's something I think from my time here going back, I just got back involved with Chesterfield as a county volunteer and visiting some of those stations, it appears that most of those stations do still have a a house fund and able to cook together. Uh, There's a lot of good times and camaraderie that can be uh, shared across the uh, table, around a dinner table or breakfast table. And it's, uh, I don't know whether with people's different eating types and vegans and uh, um, all the different requirements, whether folks are still doing that now or not, Robbie. But if they're not, uh, I think they ought to consider the the value that it brings to the camaraderie and to building uh, relationships among the crew.
1: All right. Well, two last questions for you. And uh, one of them is you know, that when somebody's retiring, I try to ask them this question just out of curiosity to find out about a little more about their job history, if you could pick one position that you've either been in throughout your career that you could go back to and work today, even if only for a week, just to go back and experience that, what position do you think that would be?
0: You know, I would probably want to go back and ride uh, ride the back seat there a little bit one more time. You know, I enjoyed my time. I considered myself at my peak to be an aggressive firefighter, and that was due in in part to the to the training that I got here in Chesterfield, but uh, I think riding the uh, riding the, the jump seat again for a week, whether it be in Petersburg, where I started my my uh, paid career, or whether it be back down in James City.
1: Okay. One last question before we wrap it up. Um, this is one I've heard from a, a few folks. They really appreciate these uh, words of wisdom. Uh, if you get the opportunity to to speak to a recruit class that may be graduating this week. Yeah, you know, there's a bunch of new folks coming in they haven't been in a fire station yet if at all um, what what type of advice would you give to them to help them in their career or make their career successful
0: i would say they need to take personal ownership in their career and when i say that i'm talking about not relying on the jurisdiction that they're working for to provide 100 percent of their training they need to go out and have a plan as to where they want to be in three years in five years uh, professionally and try to work consciously toward that to include additional uh, training, advanced training. Um, a lot of people think that uh, a college degree makes a difference. I think that it does make a difference, but I don't think that that's a sole determining factor of a of a good firefighter, but I think that's part of the puzzle, and I would encourage people that they don't have that formal education to go along with the practical education to go out and try to strike that balance, because I think overall, It'll make them a better, well-rounded firefighter, and then as they have ambitions to um, proceed up through the ranks, I think it'll make them a better company officer. The other big thing that I would tell people is to make sure you're always at work 30 minutes ahead of time, because I've had to fire more people in Spotsylvania for being late to work on multiple occasions than any other reason that I'm aware of. and. You know, again, it goes back to personal accountability and responsibility, and I think that if if they can get to work on time, they do their job the way they've been instructed to, um, and they think about why they're there to serve the public, I think they're going to have a long and prosperous career in the fire and EMS service.
1: There you go. Well, uh, we'll wrap it up and uh say thanks Chief Udaly, uh for spending some time with me this morning. I appreciate you in inviting me in and setting up and uh, having the conversation. If uh if anybody wants to get any more information about the Virginia Fire Chiefs Association, uh, what's the what's the website that they could go to and check it out? The
0: website is www.vfca.us. US. My information is on there as well. Feel free to reach out and be happy to get you connected.
1: And uh I'll just add that uh, there's you don't yeah, like like chief said, you don't have to be a chief officer. They actually have company officer sections. They have an administrative professionals section. So you federal, can, federal, federal,
0: and military, as well as the um, life safety, community risk
1: reduction yeah, section. Yep. So you uh, feel free to check those guys out and get engaged with them because a lot of great resources there. And I'll say, uh, lastly, thanks to everybody who listens. Uh, this uh, the last couple episodes have really boosted the numbers uh, that it folks listening to this and i appreciate that and appreciate all the good feedback and if you have an idea or want to give, leave a comment feel free to drop me an email at firehouse logbook at gmail.com or follow along on twitter at fd logbook or instagram at fd logbook podcast and as always uh follow us on facebook as well that's where we kind of give some highlights and you can get to see a picture or two of who's here with us and uh, and some maybe even some historical pictures so check us out there Chief E. Daly, thanks again for, for sitting down.
0: Thank you, Robbie.